But I was sitting in a petrol station last night and I was calming and oh mother of God, the window got tapped three <laughs> times in ten minutes. They are That mad. was the one lad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're, 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 they're mental about it, yeah. That's Don't go to rock. Subscribe to the OTBGAA podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. Just a slight tangent on, on that. <laughs> this, was a, this is far too much of a tangent. Just a brief interruption. Can I also say one more thing on this? But uh, we also need to impose some rules. Like, we can't just have 20 minute tangents over a text. Come on. This is refusal to consider the circumstances. I'm not going to entertain that, Joe. This conversation is not a good one, I think. Do we argue much? No. We keep them inside. There's Fester. (laughs) (laughs) See, I thought this was a ridiculous text until I read the top three, and then I thought, you know what? I'd actually debate that with you. (laughs) It is an interesting. Sorry, it's not an interesting question, but. uh, (laughs) Let's make that clear. (laughs) I love the sound of a snooker referee counting up the score. Now you're welcome along, a slight tangent coming at you on this Wednesday evening, we're very happy to say. Will to my right, hello. Good evening, We have Arthur to my left, Arthur, good evening. And Michael, hello to you. Hi, still here. This is Team OTB, the FM team, the PM team, take your choice, uh, come together, catch up on the goings-on across a given week, a frank exchange of views, and as the name suggests, tangents are encouraged. We are very much live, Belgium. Canada's second half is just starting. I'm sure the World Cup will uh, be discussed over the next hour or so. Some emails. Emails are flowing in. We're both surprised and excited by this. A slight tangent at offtheball.com. Maybe we should have been checking them more previously. Correct. So uh, a whole array of emails on different subjects. For instance, this one says, Hi, Joe, Arthur, Will and Michael. Upgraded there, everyone. It's a proper fan. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hope all is well. Enjoying the new slot. A lot, says Tyke. I really like the show. He's talking about off the ball generally here. There aren't many OTB podcasts that I would scroll by. He doesn't name which ones he would scroll by. I think as a follow up email, Tyke, we'd all be curious. <laughs> so uh, having said that, I actively try to avoid sponsor organized interviews on the show. These tend to be bland. They often appear to sidestep the most interesting or engaging potential questions. I would be very interested to hear you discuss this. And he asks, one, why do you think sponsor organized interviews are often so colorless? And two, is the interviewer constrained during a sponsor organized interview in terms of what you are allowed to ask? Stay well. Thanks for the great content. Tyke. <laughs> Interesting question. I yeah. suspect he's not the only person who has that thought or question. Yeah. For those listening, Joe curates the emails and decides what order we go in. And what he's done here is he's put a straight test to the slight tangent thing of like, are we going to talk? <laughs> Hopefully and honestly about these things, which we want to. I just assumed um, it was all the names away. were included. I, that's what got bumped to the top of the list. I, I, all the names been included yeah. worked wonders. I included it because I actually didn't think this was a an issue point of controversy. Yeah. My quick response to that would be, I have never been told in a sponsored, dictated interview bar once and it wasn't an important issue so I was happy enough to go along with it. It was more of a commercial he's also sponsored by this do you mind just not mentioning that and I said well I wasn't going to anyway and so that was fine and barely worth a mention but literally bar that one time I can't think of a time unless I'm forgetting something really obvious here but I can't think of a time where there was a sponsor organised interview and it was said so what you we can't ask about X or Y. What we mean here is that uh, we're launching a new campaign and we've got so-and-so to speak today and they're available for interview. Is this kind of what... Yeah. That sort of... Yeah, yeah. No, God, absolutely none. Goes the other end. Yeah, no, I've, I've it never... Goes at the other end. Hmm? 
it does go at the other end where things might be asked but they might not make it through what do you mean think we're all <laughs> things will be asked in a situation that will not then make it through to the end if it's not live just from a sheer editorial if it's, re- if it's recorded oh reasons. yeah we've had yeah. some of that yeah yeah yeah. Which is essentially the same thing, but like you ask what you want, but we're not going to let you say it all. Oh, that's true. That has arisen at times. Yeah. yeah. I can't remember a sponsor asking for editorial control over content. I can remember once or twice there might have been an embargo issue or a legal issue, maybe about things that can be asked within, but yeah. they're very much few and far between. Like I've never had, say, a company represent the sponsor say, you may not take the interview in this direction. Yeah. I think the main reason that they become quite colourless and boring is because generally the interviewee Thanks Will Well no they'll have run the gauntlet and like this is true of so many different places so generally not to kind of go too far behind the scenes here but they'll have probably done a round table with print journalists or with digital media earlier in the day then they will do a round of different interviews for TV and radio and generally they will be trying to get the same lines out in all of them and trying to be careful about certain answers because they're very aware that they're going to appear everywhere the next day and then unless you're Sean O'Brien, who did a sponsored interview and brought up the Warren Gatland and Lyons issue, which is few and far between when that happens, generally I think they just want to trot out the line and be extremely careful. Yeah. <laughs> the most memorable thing I can remember is when Joe Canning went on <laughs> OTVAM for one of these things and then did his main group of media stuff later on where he announced his retirement having point blank refused, point blank <laughs> told Onchi and that he was not retiring. <laughs> Yeah. On this earlier interview. <laughs> Sadly, I think the colourless aspect, maybe, as Will says, uh, interviewee doing too many interviews. But secondly, just, you know, how many interviews are that good day to day anyway? Yeah. It, it might just, I think you might find it falls into the general standard. Like one of my favourite interviews I've ever done was David Ginola when we were doing the show a couple of years ago. Are you OK there, you Mike? I don't know. We'll try and figure it out. OK. And uh, that was very much a sponsored interview, but it was like as rich and interesting as it gets you know it was Ginola talking about being cut from the French team uh, after the 94 World Cup failure and so the fact that at the end of it I have to say he's with, he's here with thanks to X or he's here with thanks yeah. to Y had no bearing on how Ginola was feeling about it so generally time, I think they're okay Time constraints are a bit of an issue as well Yeah time constraints are a bigger issue yeah. uh, Generally so you might have an idea of where you want a conversation to go and I find the best interviews that we get are always ones where you can get a natural flow you're sitting across from the person it can go into different directions and you don't feel that the clock is on. Yeah. But when you're doing oftentimes a sponsor-based interview, you are told that you have a 15-minute slot. You have to hit as many of the hits as you possibly can. Yeah. And sometimes you might have something wonderfully prepared but never get around to it because of the time. That's the biggest issue with any interview, I think, that we do, is time. Clock ticking. Lack of room for tangents. That's the biggest issue, I would find. Yeah. Maybe we should get them on 8 to 9 on Tuesday or Wednesday where we have a little bit more time and we can... Well, it's the, the problem is if you're saying, well, you've got 15 minutes with this person. Yeah, That's I know, absolutely. Uh, like in theory, if you get an interview who's quite interesting and say they start to open up a little bit, you like to be able to just sit back, listen to what they're saying, ask follow-up questions. But then it's always probably in the back of your mind when there are time constraints that, oh, if I don't ask them about that, this interview could actually just run out of road for time reasons as opposed to content. Yeah, you've less room for error. Mm. Because if you, get on, if you take a bit of a chance with the theme and it doesn't come to anything and you've used up 60% of your allowed time. Why didn't you ask me about that? Which yeah. everyone else has asked me about yeah. anyway. We uh, should point out we're coming from a slightly privileged position as well and that we de- tend to get very well looked after in these scenarios and then do tend to get their kind of one-on-one individual interviews, which a lot of organisations don't, you know, and there is a kind of a media scrum aspect to some of these things as well. Oh, yeah. And, you know, we do tend to get 
maybe not the most time in the world, but we tend to get enough time that we can... I would, I would encourage the emailer, whose name I've forgotten, to Tyke. give them a chance. Because oftentimes we, we might get a significant amount of time with these people. Oh, there's, yeah. there's no restraints on it. And, uh, no, generally yeah. we do quite well. That's that was why, a pretty good interviewer. That's why I was saying in an array of cases, unfortunately, it might just be the interviewer or the interviewee's fault as opposed to the sponsor aspect. Uh, Lance says, Kev, where do you stand on Farrell as Irish coach and Raj as potential English coach? Thanks, Kev. <laughs> <laughs> Succinct. Didn't know the Farrell part of this was there. I think yeah. we're okay with that. Farrell I think part, Andy Farrell's doing a good job. Going Stay well. as long as you can. Yeah. <laughs> Farrell part happy. Raj as English coach. I don't know. We've had to think about it a lot in the last... Uh, well, it's because he's campaigning for it. Yeah, well, he, he, <laughs> would, say, he, he would say differently. He would say differently that he was campaigning. I'm joking, Roger, I'm joking. Um, joking but I'm still 10 weeks off now. <laughs> he, uh, yeah, sorry. I, 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 was, I was reacting to the noise of microphones there and not what you said there, Arthur. I didn't give you a filthy for no reason. Um, I, I would be, I think we'd get used to it and it'd be fine and we have to try and not be crazy nationalist weirdos about these things. Although, but at the same time, yes, I, know. I think it would I think it would sit oddly. I was listening to Rory O'Connor in the left wing and he was uh, painting the picture of laid on at Twickenham, Ireland, England. There's a last minute, for instance, own Farrell penalty to win the game. He scores it. Rog is a, akin to Lancaster in the tracksuit, white, gleaming, big rose. Raj starts banging the table, cheering, stands up, takes out the earpiece, run down the stairs, yes, onto the pitch, hugging the English players. How do we feel then? It's a bit, it's kind of different in rugby, isn't it? It's a lot more homogenised anyway. So it's like Ireland are going from, obviously, English head coach, New Zealand head coach, was it Irish kidney before then? Yeah. Anyway, so you're going back and then Gatlin's in there. and So it's kind of an England are going from I suppose Australian typically would think like it, it's kind of so we've had to deal with non-Irish people managing Ireland and I think yeah. we're, we're very open to that that's great we haven't had to deal with Irish legend managing England against yeah. Ireland but the talent pool's quite small isn't it where realistically like in terms of rugby like it's such a small actual hotbed of yeah. kind of places you are that you're kind of I think I think you're very right there because what we also have to come to terms with is be it we ever get past the World Cup quarterfinal or not, we are one of the major players in rugby in a way that we are in few other sports and we this we will encounter this. Yeah. So in the same way as Aussies and South Africans and English yeah. uh, coaches are going to go other places, Irish coaches are eventually going to get national jobs in big, serious countries. That's and it could be Raj. That first member of the golden generation is mm. now taking the natural step in the coaching world. He's just won a Heineken Cup. Like he is, and if there isn't, if Andy Farrell is doing a good job as Ireland coach, yeah. he, if he doesn't want to, he's not going anywhere for a while. You know, so what is Rogers' next step? Is is Leinster, Leinster yeah. is almost worse than England for, so for the way some people would think of it. But is Munster a step up from La Rochelle? It's no. not. Like I feel okay about it, I have to say. I do feel okay about it. I think in some ways it will just add to the fabric of the whole occasion the intrigue yeah. the build up would be extraordinary and the visuals and it would just be entertainingly interesting there's something very aesthetic about actually what you're saying with that thing from Rory's piece about seeing him in the tracksuit yeah. wearing mm. it's such a big thing yeah like the crest is but it, imagine him banging the table as Farrell kicks the winning points against Ireland still there oh Farrell's <laughs> never <laughs> gone anywhere yeah <laughs> I think I'd have uh, two reactions go on the first one would be 
Ireland have just lost to their rivals in this scenario. Is it for England to win the, the Six Nations? St. Patrick's Day. Oh, bloody hell. Um, 2025. Yeah, it wouldn't be easy to see Rog on the English side of that from a purely Irish supporter point of view. Wouldn't be easy how? Incredibly different to even, say, Munster supporters being able to enjoy La Rochelle beating Leinster in a Heineken Cup semi-final and then in a final in the year just gone by because you can get behind your former boy. And Leinster fans can almost take you know, take the pain of Ronald Gara being in charge of a foreign club team. It's very different on a national level where you're far more tied into your nationality. Like, Andy Farrell can probably speak of this having you know coached against his home country. Would you take a certain pride, pride, in, would you take a certain pride in O'Gara doing great things? That's what I was going well, to say. I, I think it would have. I think there'd be a very confused element in that way. Sorry to set you there, Will. No, I was just going to say, my second reaction would probably be to a certain feeling that Ron Nogara has been expanding his CV with the jobs that he's taken so far. So it was interesting, he went to Paris and then, you know, continued his education in New Zealand, went to the best club team in the Southern Hemisphere in the Crusaders, went to learn alongside Scott Robertson. This feeling that La Rochelle was him then dipping his toe in France and bringing a team to the top of European club rugby. There was always that feeling that then he would come back to either Munster or Ireland, and particularly when he had won a Heineken Cup, you're thinking a pathway has to be there for Ron Nogara to get back into the Irish system. It's rare enough, Eddie Jones being a notable exception on this, that coaches coach an international team and then go on to coach another international team. Like Gatlin and Jones obviously are outliers with this, but oftentimes coaching a national team is the zenith of your career, particularly if you coach a team like England who are among the top teams in the world. Would that be the end of O'Gara in Ireland if he was to coach England? Wow. How long would he be at England? Four-year cycle, certainly. Would that change things? If he did very well with England, he'd certainly be welcome back to the Irish job with open arms, no? Sir Ronan O'Gara. <laughs> now we're talking. <laughs> <laughs> would he put his hands in his pockets for King Charles as he did for Queen Elizabeth? He was wiping his hand. <laughs> yeah. Is that it's incredibly <laughs> complex, though, because of the Farrell situation. So Andy Farrell is going particularly well. If Ireland do have a very good World Cup, Andy Farrell gets a extension and is probably in for the next four-year cycle. And then you can't blame O'Gara, who couldn't sit around forever oh, if a top he, job was available. Yeah, it would be that, mad not to take the job. That was my point. Is like You're getting to the stage where him as a professional, the only logical next step up is a big international job, like a World Cup winning chance. Um, and that Ireland job might just not be available for him. And like, I mean, he could stay around La Rochelle for another couple of years. There's no reason not to. But uh, if this opportunity arises, these people are professionals before they are anything else. And that's like other people from other countries go all around the world and don't think anything of it. I think we can be a little bit precious in Ireland sometimes. But again, it is, you'd, almost, you'd almost rather somebody took over yeah. a different country first rather than England, which, until we get used to it. You wonder would he find it difficult? I think he would. I think he'd have to. I think he'd relish it. Class. He's not going to lose anything. He has his, his legend things is sorted. Like so, everyone, no one's questioned him in terms of the Irish side of things. Yeah. But to be able to go and do that, yeah, I think he'd love that. Mm. It'd be great. It'd be like look, look, just it's that type of thing. It's like reverse thing because he gets to he gets to buy into it as well. It's like look at me, not look at me, but you know that kind of I, I am I am one of you. But look what I'm doing to you, and it's just yeah. I think I think it'd be What's class. Conor O'Shea basically looking after their elite development program and Ron McGarry as head coach. Yeah. Two former Irish players spearheading English rugby. Mm, it's true. Uh, somebody is asking about Tiger Woods winning the player impact program. We're having microphone problems, I feel, at all times. Will we take an ad break and just get this sorted? Back in one sec, a slight tangent continuing in just one sec. Now you're welcome back. A slight tangent uh, coming at you. 
Will alongside me, Mick alongside me, Arthur alongside me. We had some microphone problems. They are fixed. It was Will's fault. Would they have been addressed <laughs> now? Don't blame the equipment, blame me. Huh. Somebody wanted their thoughts on the Tiger Woods winning the Player Impact program. So if you're not generally okay with golf, this is a new program which the PGA Tour, the American Tour, has instigated in the last two years in golf. It was 40 million last year, this year 100 million. And so in effect, it's a way of rewarding the top players who generate the most interest financially. So the complaint of top players for a long time has been that while Tiger Woods could turn up at a tournament, not have a good Thursday, Friday, miss the cut and receive zero dollars, even though in effect his presence has generated all the interest and all the sponsorship around that tournament. Cristiano Ronaldo loses for Manchester United. He still gets half a million that week. And what's really uh, added a momentum to this is live golf, obviously. So that's why it's jumped to 40 million last year and now 100 million this year. So the interesting thing about the Player Impact Programme is that Tiger Woods has won it two years in a row. And this year, Tiger Woods has only played nine rounds of golf. Hence the question from somebody wondering, well, how has Woods won this? The Player Impact Programme is based on, I guess you could say... Convoluted. Popularity, impact. It's searches. measured on four different things. So one of those things is the Nielsen brand, which is basically TV exposure. Now, because Woods has only played nine rounds of golf all year, he's 41st on that measurement, the Nielsen brand, because he's never on TV playing. The other three categories are Google, mentions in the media, and then just the uh, general awareness amongst the general public. So Google, mentions in media, and then awareness amongst the general public slash uh, social media engagement. That's a big one as well. Uh, so in, on those, in those other four categories, Woods has just destroyed the field. So even though he was 41st in TV exposure, he is just so far ahead of everybody in terms of media, Google, general public interest, social media interest that he wins. So he gets $15 million just for us talking about him in effect. Rory finished second, 12 million. If Rory didn't win this year, he's never going to win. 12 million, like. It's not bad money, but he finished second. Speeth third, got 9 million. And on it goes. Shane Lowry finished uh, 12th, I think he got 3 million. Mm. <laughs> the money is unbelievable. I, I think we're glossing over that. Do you remember when, how much did Rory win for the FedEx Cup? 15. Right, the same as what Tiger got for this, yeah. for just being popular, right? Yeah. That was that used to be. Well, I remember when Furyk won that, and he won ten. Yeah. And there was talk the next year is like, how's Jim Furyk going to be? Like Jim Furyk, there's a reason he's fine. Like I mean, nobody can earn that kind of money and not let it affect him. And it was like Jim Furyk was basically off the tour after winning <laughs> ten million quid. And it's now it's like now it's like Rory, Shane Lowry's winning a casual three million for finishing twelfth in a popularity contest. I know. It's well, unbelievable. It, it did strike me that maybe even part of his. Um his media mentions this year, a big part of them would have been when he was involved in the I'm not a politician over Saudi Arabia that time. There's yeah. some irony there. Uh, he so, what he was doing, Joe, did he? Well, I don't think it's quite that, but... Uh, I could beat Tiger. Yeah. It's a li- I mean, li- the, the, uh, the other thing that, that strikes you about it... Uh, see, I, I really enjoy golf and I enjoy the intricacies of watching a certain player hit a certain shot out of a certain lie because it's an endlessly complicated game at a real micro level. But uh, on a broad level... It's very worrying for golf that Live Golf have basically taken half of last year's top 10 mm-hmm. and the PGA Tour are left with. So if I keep going here, they're left with Scotty Scheffler, the seventh most exciting. Let's use that umbrella term. Golfer on the PGA Tour. Xander Schauffele is eight. Matt Fitzpatrick is nine. 
like Kevin Kisner is 13. If Kevin Kisner walked in here wearing <laughs> golf gear and had a golf bag that said Kisner on it, would you know his first name? <laughs> and that, but that yes. is the precarious place golf finds itself in. That even Tiger Woods, who played nine rounds this year and admittedly around the Masters and around St. Andrews, there was colossal hype. But still, it more is, than anything, it's just a worrying state of affairs for golf. It's quite something, Joe, that he can be 41st as the most watched golfer despite playing only nine rounds. Yeah. So that just goes through how much TV's coverage he gets when he plays. Every shot of his uh, yeah. uh, round was shown, yeah. And Roy McIlroy, effectively here, has won both the Order of Merits in a single season, has gone up against Live Golf, yeah. was the voice against Live Golf. Top 10 in every major. Has been in the news repeatedly all year. Yeah. And still he's behind a guy who's played four tournaments all season. It's Tiger. I know, but still, your shining beacon of golf and golf's future in a year where he couldn't have had any more publicity yeah. has less publicity than Tiger Woods. In a way, it speaks of Tiger's just immense stature. I'm more concerned about Kevin Kisner 13. <laughs> than Rory. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that golf is fine without Tiger. It's just never going to reach the height of, and you've got a once in a lifetime, lifetime. not a generation. Yeah. It's like, and it was always like that. It was obvious, like Tiger was... Tiger was borderline the biggest name in the tw in golf in in sport. Sorry, yeah. in twenty first century, close to it, he'd be having arguments with Michael Jordan types, and you know he's on that level. There's no one ever in golf that's ever been anywhere close to that level. No. So it'll just go back to the like a Rory McIlroy type being well known in America, quite famous, and then everything below him. You know, and that's that's just the natural run of things. I don't think it means the end for the game. I'd be more worried about the way they're throwing money around. Like I know it's a it's a sport that's well funded corporately. And there will always be a bit of backing for a sport like golf. But at the same time, I, I'm flabbergasted by those figures. Because you can say they don't... What? Well, <laughs> I, I just didn't... I never heard of this thing. Coming into a board. Player impact program. I never heard of it's it only in its second year. Right, so... But until today, it's like, oh, Tiger Woods pips Rory for the player impact program. And it's like 15 million against that. It's like, what? <laughs> that used, like, that's an unheard of fee. And you're saying, oh, they don't... Like, he might miss the cut and not get anything, but he sells all the tickets. But, like, there's other... Like, it is still... It's still a competition that they're in. It's a sporting competition. There's loads of ways to make money in golf by having your name. Yeah. Tiger Woods, like, you know, can sign off on somebody else's design for a golf course and earn this amount of money tomorrow you know he can he gets an awful lot of endorsements i would say as well there are, there are other ways to make money off your name that yeah. probably is in order of this you know they probably earn more based on their order in this in this finding i would say um but for it to be a prize money thing i just i can't believe it it's a lot of it's a like hundred million idea. just gone on this well, i like the idea of him being 78 he's still collecting 10 million a year it's a good chance <laughs> just don't retire do you know what arthur don't retire if he's remain if he somehow keeps his card on the pga yeah, tour yeah, he's to going to win card. this every year you have to keep your card but He'll be very competitive as long as he even... St if he just can stumble up to the first tee, <laughs> yeah. hit a shot, say, I'm injured, and walk back in, yeah. he might net bag 15 million every year. God knows like, what it'll be then. <laughs> if this stadium golf thing happens and virtual golf, you know, all the stuff that him and McElroy have been talking about yeah, in the coming yeah. years, yeah. he's still going to be like in the news cycle yeah. all the time. Yeah. But sure, if Golf Weekly are doing the Is Tiger Back special every week, that bumps him up. Like. We don't do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't done that in about two years. Oh, yeah, sorry. I can't I'm, afford it. I'm sure Nathan is going to take the credit for Jordan Speed being in third place for his interview at Adair Manor as well. Well, indeed. Again, Speed, I've no problem with Speed because he, he's, if you're into your golf, he is amazingly interesting, thoughtful, all that stuff. But he's a sporting superstar. Kevin Kisner, 13th most interesting golfer yeah, in the PGA really Tour. Kisner <laughs> <laughs> you're obsessed with Kisner. <laughs>
Would you know anything about him? <laughs> not a thing. He's the thirteenth most interesting <laughs> golfer on tour. You see, like that interest. Matt Fitzpatrick. Who's the thirteenth? Who's the thirteenth? Who'd be thirteenth in the Premier League? Oh God, it could be anyone. Like, could, yeah, it wouldn't be. You, you know him, Kevin Kisner. No, no, no. This is like Crystal Palace's left back here. Yeah, Matt Fitzpatrick breaks into the top ten. You're thinking like that's a one-off because he won a major. And it was a big deal in time. Now, maybe it not, mightn't be, yeah, but, but yeah, Kisner right. didn't really do anything. He did a President's Cup thing. But yeah, Tony Fina 10th. Tony, Tony Fina was just because everyone bets on him every week to finish mm. in the top won six. Won five times this year, so I mean, he should, or a bunch of times, not five times, but five times in the last couple of years. Scotty Scheffler, sixth. John Sheff- Ram. Scheffler won the Masters, like, you know, yeah. the canter. Xander Shoffley, seventh. Yeah. What would you tell me about Xander Shoffley? Funny name. Yeah. Yeah. What, what's the second thing <laughs> what would you tell me you know more about as much about sport week in week out as anyone you're watching everything what would you tell me about Sandra Shoffley because he's not the a, seventh most exciting golfer on the planet according to the PGA Tour not a huge amount I mean I don't find Shoffley all that interesting that's the thing people seem to but, but, yeah <laughs> <laughs> or do they, or he, do they? <laughs> people within golf it would seem. he's been on TV a lot I think his, yeah. I think his, his Nielsen brand Half exposure must have been high yeah. anyway that's where golfing it's, it's a curious Poor golf. Curious uh, situation. I hope it'll be okay. <laughs> Live Golf have taken a lot of the, uh, you know, the, kind of, the, the, the way they talk about Phil is that he has a lot of juice. The juice. Mm. The juice. <laughs> is Phil Li- on this list? Honestly, he's gone. He's, he's gone. Suspended he, three last he was year. second last year. And in typical Phil fashion, wow, that's he, an, he announced, I've won the pip. I've just heard from the PGA Tour I've won. And then it transpired a month later that Tiger Woods had won and he'd finished second. And oh, so. Phil. But I think he's almost doing that because he knows it'll get more engagement. He's already thinking about next year's next year <laughs> Before he quit the tour. Yeah. Brooks kept to his top 10 last year as well, I think, yeah. and so was Dustin Johnson. Bryson so. was Some big. Bryson Shambo was big last year. Yeah. So Their beef gone. probably put them top. Yeah, they're, yeah. They're, do you know what? Actually, for all the talk of like what Live Golf have taken away from the PGA Tour in terms of talent and wins, they've taken away a good, uh, a good chunk of the top 10 of this Random list. Kevin Kisner, 13th. <laughs> <laughs> Watch out, Liv Goff. Kevin Kisner has got to write his solicitor show, I would say, at this stage. Good on him. He's laughing all the way to the bank. <laughs> uh, World Cup, then. We sort of avoided jumping straight into World Cup because obviously it's been prominent across the show. So, in general terms, on the pitch, has had Saudi Arabia, it's had Japan today. That's, I think. Lodnell knows just started creating the story of the tournament to touch which was uh, much needed and then I would say uh, off the pitch it's been as political a sporting event as I can remember in recent times everything from Mohammed bin Salman sitting beside Infantino on day one and just what an odd day day one was then it was armband situation then it was the Iranian situation which we're going to touch on the football show uh, then the German team today, this very elegant solution to their problem, a really clever gesture to sum up the the predicament they found themselves in. And then, of course, all the coverage around it. I mean, Roy Keane's having interesting tournament. I didn't think Roy Keane would be to the fore of cutting through the human rights discussion a couple of days ago. But he seems to almost have moved into to pole position here. He makes for good soundbites. Yeah. I think that's pretty key. You know... In a tournament where there have been so many messages and so many pundits on the ground in Qatar talking about the situation there, Roy Keane spoke remarkably plainly yeah. in his conversation with Graham Souness when many people were having their breakfast before the game yesterday. And as a result, Roy Keane went viral. Roy Keane tends to go viral anyway, but he didn't qualify anything he said, which is where I think the message came through very, very directly. It can be a strength and a weakness of Keane that he has no nuance. 
mm. most of the time. Probably a strength on this issue because it cut through the noise. A lot of the noise has involved long paragraphs with qualifications and on the other hands. And he didn't worry about any of that stuff. Mm. It shouldn't be here, as you said. It also helps he's Roy Keane, no? I mean, no, it does. It it was, does. Like, it wasn't but the most remarkable comment I've ever heard either. No, but it was. he was the only one saying, like, I mean, he was in... Graeme Soon has found himself in a conversation about, you know, British military history and their occupation of Ireland. You know what I mean? There was no... There was, like, we were gone down crazy <laughs> roads of trying to justify... Uh, you know, other cultures and everybody has a past. You know, like, there, there was. Imagine there was, what was being said in the presenter's ear at that. <laughs> that <laughs> you need to get him out of this quickly. Like there was, no, there was no need for like that that level. Like I mean, I understand if people want to say on one hand and on the other hand. Yeah. But Keen just kind of went, no, I just it shouldn't be here, and here are two reasons why, and we shouldn't be here. And it's right? that simple. That's yeah. a simple, and, and look, you don't even have to agree with him, but I think that is, I think it resonated because of that and because we haven't heard it that way from anybody over there mm. in an ex-footballer on a panel kind of way, right? But I think you're 100% right that we wouldn't be hearing as much about it if it wasn't from Roy Keane. Yeah. Roy Keane has that, and look, look that, that is what it is. That's not for no reason either, you know? Roy mm. Keane is a... Tremendously interesting figure. Yeah. Well, you were saying you watched the BBC opener. I've seen some of the clips of the BBC opening night and Lineker's opening monologue. You were generally reasonably impressed with their efforts? Yeah. So I mainly caught it was the England game against Iran. So they opened the coverage an hour before the game. So they had plenty of time and space to talk about it. And Gary Lineker had a monologue, which was, I would assume, scripted at the start, but was still quite strong about their position on how they felt about the tournament. He then said, some people are going to say, just stick to the football. And he said, you're coming to the wrong place if you think we're just going to stick to the football. They had a conversation on the panel. There was a bit of qualification by comparison to what Keane had said. And then we had Alex Scott, who wore the armband, who I think pretty much like an hour, maybe two hours before the game, it had been confirmed that England would not be wearing the armband because of the threat that had been made by FIFA for the yellow cards and she very pointedly wore it on the side of the pitch for the analysis when they went from the studio yeah. down to the pitch and then back up. So I think the BBC made a very strong attempt to talk about it and then park it once the football had started when England were playing against Iran because I presume they're incredibly aware that there's an audience there who probably have no interest in the off the field side of things and they want to watch England at a World Cup. And even I thought Micah Richards was um, probably a counterpoint to some of the conversation that we're having where they're saying these are all really important issues but he said he was incredibly excited about England going to a World Cup where potentially they could go very deep into the tournament and he couldn't help but be giddy about the idea of Gareth Southgate's team doing well. Ah, look, I think he can do both. No, I'm just laughing at the word giddy in describing himself because he's the most giddy, <laughs> especially yeah. since he's been over there. But you know what, I was actually, Joe, and I kind of mentioned the BBC common, uh, half-time kind of giddiness for want of a better word, on Monday show, and you were saying you disagreed with me, and I actually moved it on immediately. We never actually got to talk about it. But is that because you thought we might talk about it on a slight tangent? Is that the producer at you spinning wheels? Yeah, no, no. That's not, uh, not ruined this now. Unless I'm a very, very good subconscious producer, no, but. Uh, no, but I, I you have. found their giddiness, what, distasteful in light of what yeah, they said? Yeah, but I think, I think honestly, it's two days later now, and I, I've changed my mind. I think everything that Will, you know, that Will's reporting that they said there is, is fair enough. Like, it's, it is Michael Richards' prerogative to say, look, I understand this, but from my point of view, I'm really excited about watching England in the World Cup. It is fair enough. Yeah. I suppose what it's... They can't be sombre at all times. Yeah, I know. And I suppose what, what's really kind of like dawned on me, even just thinking about this in the last couple of hours, is that 
I'm just finding this World Cup a struggle, and it's not the BBC's fault for being excited about it at half time. But when I see people acting like that about the football, as much as I'm getting into it here and there, yeah, it's not it's not getting true. I just it is it is a grim, horrible affair, and everything we're seeing. I'm trying to get away from it. I'm trying to even say, look, the football. You mentioned how political the the World Cup is at the start, and all of these thing, things that happen. What we haven't mentioned is. The heavy-handed, like in a way that I've never seen in in, in my lifetime, the heavy-handed, authoritarian behaviour of authorities, be they FIFA or Qatari authorities. I don't know is the truth, right? They'll be reporting on that, I would imagine, in more detail in the next few days. But like fans being stopped with every manner of thing getting into a stadium, phones being taken off people and threatened with not getting back unless you delete a video, mm. which luckily other people were deleted. Do you know what that video was? A fan, I think, I think they were Argentinian. People can correct me if I'm wrong, but there was like a local flag, like it was, a, it was just an actual flag. It was nothing to do with rainbow colored or pride or anything like that. But that flag for that region happened to have a rainbow-like graphic on it. Mm. It was part of the design of the flag mm. taken off them. It was like just a regional flag, and that was the whole argument there. And it's just this heavy-handed authoritarianism. That how can you? not see that and just think this is so wrong and as much as I'm looking at this going God aren't Canada good you know they really should be beating Belgium here and that is a huge part to me I just can't let myself go yeah. and I don't, I don't want to be like that and I'm not trying to pontificate and I'm not I'm not being holier than thou I'm just saying that I thought that we would ultimately just sort of get on with the game and I find it difficult I just think it's a sham I think well it's, you couldn't really argue with that in many ways I suspect as the tournament really catches fire you'll get more and more into it. I mean, yeah, possibly, I'm sure yeah. there have been World Cups where you haven't really got into the group stages before and you just put it down to the fact that it was the group stages. Yeah, yeah, maybe. So you might actually find yourself, you know... A lot of the annoyance, Joe, as well, has now shifted even more towards FIFA, I think, than before. Because Infantino has always been very keen to get across the idea that this is a new FIFA in the post-Set Bladder era. Yeah. And then Infantino sat down for an hour on Saturday in Doha and came out extremely strongly among the side of the hosts of the tournament. Mm. And I'd always got the feeling that he felt that Russia and Qatar were hands that he were dealt by the previous regime and these tournaments would have to take place here. Mm. And he's been very keen to stress the reforms and the idea that football can go to Qatar and be good for the game. So put them all to one side and then you look at the way the FIFA have behaved during the tournament. It would have been incredibly easy for FIFA to allow the seven countries to have their protest yeah. and not to have the yellow cards, not to have referees like with Manuel Neuer earlier today where his armband was actually moved around just to double check that there wasn't a rainbow on the other side and Neuer was actually going to pull it around, mm. uh, telling Belgium that they couldn't have the rainbow trim and the word love on the away jersey when they wear it at this World Cup. Right. These kind of heavy-handed tactics don't reflect well on FIFA. No. And that's why it's not a huge surprise that you have Denmark today, potentially, according to the Athletic, uh, spearheading an idea of some countries boycotting FIFA or potentially even stepping away from FIFA. Yeah, the Infantino situation is very striking. And at a time when he's up for re-election and when the 2030 World Cup hosting rights are very much on the agenda right now. Yeah, so he's unopposed and he's hanging out with I'm MBS. Salam, the Crown yeah, so yeah. I think we can have a fair guess at how the next decade is going to um, unfold. But I think his standing, his reputation now has been copper fastened by this week when he first took over I guess there's a degree of grace well maybe it will be a new era everybody's very sceptical of course but he's not Sepp Blatter and he's not Joe Havelange so you have to give him a certain amount of time to see what he wants to try and do 
And I think now his, his name is very much alongside those as deeply, deeply unpopular. His speech last Friday is going to go down in history. That, that's his, that's his num over. number one yeah, line in his obituary. Like, is that, that insane 40 minute yeah. <laughs> diatribe? <laughs> I don't know. Like, it was nuts. Like, a lot of people give him a pass. Like, up until the fact, until the point that Infantino had been elected, the biggest issue was sometimes he dragged the UEFA draws on a little bit. And he was the guy who was associated with those long draws for the Champions yeah, he League. he liked attention. Then he got a little bit of a pass for putting a Medal of Honour onto Putin. Because there was always that feeling that the World Cup hosts get a little bit of love back from FIFA along the way. Mm. And it was a feeling that his legacy was going to be the World Cup in 2026 and potentially 2030 if he was to get a second term. In this case, he has gone in incredibly strongly behind the World Cup hosts. And look, you could argue Qatar spent $200 billion to host this World Cup. Yeah. You can understand why they would feel that FIFA should be supporting them. And I, I would say there are probably some in Qatar who are maybe even surprised by the level of introspection and outside criticism that's come particularly from Westerners. I was listening to uh, news agents, that new podcast, Emily Maitlis mm. is on it, amongst others. And uh, it was just a clip and one of the journalists was talking and he was saying that he's uh, spoken to someone who is very au fait with the behind the scenes at the Qatari World Cup, whatever committee or committee you know, just yeah. the various people involved. And frankly, at this stage, their general feeling on the whole thing is one of massive regret that it hasn't been worth it, that it's been a colossal waste of money. And all it's brought them is hassle and criticism. And they've I mean, having had no real reputation in the world, quietly going about their business, they've almost um, highlighted their issues and they just regret the whole thing, which was really interesting. On this um, whole area, I don't want to give too many details. I hope the guys that work in the coffee shop don't listen to the show. They'll probably remember There's the conversation. Go on. Because I go into that coffee shop every day. They're great guys. And... Um, <laughs> Not, they were the not for long. The no, no, no. The, the, there's nothing wrong with this. This is more about me, actually, the, and and actually, it's to highlight a divide between I think us and our bubble, and 98 percent of the world. Because mm. I do think, and Dion Fanning was making this point the other evening. I think we're in such a hypersensitive bubble, and we're so aware of everything. So they were, as you should do, they were looking forward to the Saudi Arabia Argentina game. And they were discussing, and again, I'm conscious there may be people with um, gambling addictions here, but they were discussing what bets to put on for the Saudi Arabian uh, game. And they were saying, you know, one guy was telling the other, Messi's going to score two, let's go for o over three and a half goals, and let's say Martinez scores as well. That, that, was, their, that was their aim. Mm. And honestly, my instinct was to say, did you not see though Messi and the... Yeah, Saudi Arabian money, and he's you know he's as bad as the rest. This was like this. My my thought with Messi now at the moment because we're so wrapped up in this stuff is not maybe the greatest player I've ever seen. Quite probably, it's Messi, Saudi Arabian money. He's taken the cash so needlessly. Ugh, I yeah. find it very hard to warm to him. And I think we're in the two three percent minority with all that stuff. If I if I had stopped the lads and said, do you know what, what do you think about Messi on that regard? I think there would have been a sense of. What are you talking about? I think that's perfectly fine for people to be like that, and I think <laughs> each their own, you know. And I'll tell I, you, I, wasn't, I was almost judging yeah. me. No, I'm not sure, thinking, but I don't ugh. think you should, though, because I think if you do have that knowledge, it's not that everyone should have it or that everyone knows, but if you do, if you are paying attention to that, then you can't just ignore it because most people don't care. Yeah. And that, that's, that's the way I would look at it anyway. Okay. What do you think, Arthur? Uh... I'd be broadly in the same view. I don't think, because you know, there's plenty of things you don't know 
in different areas of Very expertise. I mean, no, I know, of course. <laughs> but in different areas of expertise that would probably, you know, yeah. they can, you know, completely change your view of things. Yes. Um, oh look, I'm, I'm, I, I, my whole outlook on it is quite cynical in terms of none of this is clean. It's never been clean. It'll never be clean. Yeah. I think there's, was it, I, I forget your man's name. His initials were... Was it Rankies or your man? He was high up in FIFA. Was his name Joseph something? And he was Jerome Valky, is it? Jerome yeah, Valky. we actually have a text about it. And yeah. he said that type of thing somewhere near the tail end of that documentary, where it's basically like, you try running FIFA as a democracy. Yes, <laughs> yeah. it won't yeah. happen. The, the, and we got this text last night as well with the exact same quote. So I'm gonna I'm gonna assume it's accurate, where it says, uh, uh, "Remember what Jerome Valky said. I will say some. I, I will say something which is crazy, but less democracy is sometimes better for organising a World Cup." Yeah, it's it's not it's it's an imperfect yes. system that'll never be changed. That's and that's it's not look. So I don't know. That's not an act. I'm not I'm very careful to say that's not an action. A call to no action. Mm. But it's I suppose why I feel it's important. We say within what we can control here in the show. You do a little bits you can to nudge away a tiny little bits because overall change I think is impossible. Yes, certainly. Holes, anyone who could do wholesale change would likely do wholesale change for the worse. Yeah. So it's kind of like at least you can do your little bits. Human nature is what it is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think so too. To be honest, uh, there was a lengthy email which will kick to next week, and it had the interesting subject line: "I have a daughter." I knew what the email was going to be about, and it was what I thought, which was so many people when we're talking about women's sports not being given the attention it deserves they often throw in the line well I have a daughter and this person's very frustrated at that uh, we'll come back to that next week I'll read out the email in full just uh, before we begin to wrap up you are now a convert to Amazon rugby is that uh, I don't know if I need to be a convert no what happened was I really was kind of frustrated in that whenever I had a few minutes at the weekend outside of Ireland games of the last couple of weeks I didn't just have like, where are these games? South Africa are playing against France now, where is it? And then I didn't even know it was on Amazon, you know, because like, I could be low information sometimes when it comes to rugby, I have to say. I just kind of want to know when it's happening. I'm not spending all week building up to it, unless it's Ireland or Munster or Leinster or so. Okay. And it just frustrated me. And, I, and then I did watch um, England, New Zealand. Yeah. And I thought, the, I thought the setup was brilliant. I thought they had a really good panel. They had uh, Gabby Logan, Gabby Logan, Warren Gatland, Warren Gatland, uh, Dan Carter, Dan Carter, and Chris Robshaw. I think. No, was Dylan Hartley. Was it Dylan Hartley? Yeah. Okay, right. Um, on the panel. Strong. Yeah. And then they had good, good commentary <laughs> and and so on. Right. It was very good. But I mean, it was no Virgin Media, obviously. No, obviously not. No, <laughs> and, and, and I didn't see the Amazon uh, Ireland match show, so I can't possibly judge. If you as had. I'd never talk to you again. As they did against uh, against Virgin. But what I will say though is. As good and all as that is, and it was great because then when it was like bath time for the kids, I was able to just whack it on the iPad really easy, much easier than players, bring it around much with Much easier than players. Yeah. Oh, yeah. no, there's loads of benefits to it. Yeah. I will the just Virgin say, media though. Virgin Media player where I was watching it. Sorry, not the Virgin Media <laughs> if, player. Where I was watching Ireland. <laughs> well, media I watch there. Ireland on Virgin as well, just for, so everybody knows. On my television, on an actual One with a remote control. media players, the Virgin Media player. Yeah. But go on. Uh, I do question sporting organisations um, and the long-term benefit or, you know, maybe not a benefit of going into streaming services. And the reason is, it's a nice, easy thing for people to do. If, if I'm a rugby fanatic and I'm like, right, 
five games, international window, all the teams are playing each other, what a day I have ahead of me, here's where I'll find it, right? That's going to get you hardcore rugby fans and almost nobody else, I would say, because people aren't going on to see what's live on Amazon Prime today. You know, whereas we always we talk about the paywall, I feel like this is almost another level because what you have in the paywall is, right, you're not going to get any average people who'd be, like, interested in the match but might not really watch sport. That's gone since we've gone behind into Sky and BT and etc. But what you might have is sports fans, people who subscribe for Premier League who might be flicking around who might say, ooh, New Zealand, England. You know, and I, do t- I almost think this is another level again. And I just wonder long term, are you... Is your sport, and this is going for a lot more than just rugby, is sport just going to become hardcore fans? Hardcore rugby fans have Amazon, they can watch all the games. Hardcore football fans have Sky, whatever it is, they watch all the games. You know, and there's no room for finding a little bit of something. I watched the Rugby League uh, semi-final in the World Cup last week because they've happened to flick across, uh, on BBC and it was brilliant. I haven't watched a rugby league game in years. Mm. Now I'm probably not going to become a big fan of rugby league again but at least I was, mm. at least I knew what was happening and at least I was able to watch a game and I had a bit more interest in the final then when it came around the following week. So I don't know, that was just my, while le- looking for the games the week before and while actually watching the game last week which was brilliant, I was just having that thought. Mm. I'd agree. I was very impressed by Amazon's coverage of the Premier League when they were showing midweek games. Despite the fact that here they were on TV on Premier Sport, so you had to look maybe at alternate means to actually see the Amazon Prime coverage. That notwithstanding, Mick's point about the paywall being ramped up, once upon a time the paywall meant maybe one to two subscription services maximum, but most things still on terrestrial TV. It's a well-worn path, the fact that you lose a lot of general interest in the general fan when you put things behind a paywall. Like there's evidence about Formula One, about cricket, about various different things. But when you fragment it, it means that you have to be all the more niche. And people find themselves in that position all the time. Where exactly is it gone? There's so many different subscription channels now and so many different subscription services. At what point does the sports fan feel particularly milked as well that they have to have additional subscription services on top of their TV and on top of everything else that they have to buy as well? It naturally will lead to probably lower overall viewer figures. Yeah, but boxing on the zone, for example. Now, yeah. boxing's all had a history of this with pay-per-view and everything like that. But if you think of, like, if I want to watch Katie Taylor now or, like, most of the good fights... I gotta get the zone, and that's grand because if I'm super into boxing and I want to watch it every Saturday night, that's a great, that's great value. It's better value than a lot of the things you can buy. Mm. But what if I'm just someone who has Sky Sports and watch football match and thinks, "Geez, there could be a fight on tonight. Mm. What's on?" Or there's a specific fight I want to watch, but I don't watch every week. Is it worth me paying however much a month for it? I just think it's we're going down the the hardcore fan route, which is great for the hardcore fans, and it's fine. But I'm just wondering. Is there an ability to grow your sport then? Mm. There's other ways to do it, of course. Yeah. What do you think? I presume for those matches, say with Test Rugby and stuff, that it's just too high a premium and getting into spots where you would be more easily seen. You probably wouldn't get, like, the payoff just wouldn't be worth it for them. Like, they're not going to get... South Africa, France isn't going to get any space on terrestrial TV. It's not going to get any space and. You know, you might be down the list in Sky or whatever, depending on what time of year it is. But mm. like, there's not, there's nowhere else for it. No. It's not going to be on TV or it'll be on stream. That's true. So that's, that's a very it. good point, actually. Yeah, my my sourness of that is probably I pay for all these bloody channels where, yeah, yeah. <laughs> where South African fans. I used to be always able to see this match, yeah. but I think you're actually right. To my point, 
the neutral games almost make is irrelevant, isn't it? Because yeah. where, like, why would BBC or even yeah. Sky Sports necessarily be showing South Africa, France? Yeah, that's one that's okay for the hardcore, I think. But England, New Zealand, slightly different matter if you're in England. I think rugby will be an interesting test case here as we begin to wrap up because it's that weird weirdest of sports where the participation rates are tiny in ratio to the viewing fears. The, yeah, yeah, the yeah. England France game will get a million. Yeah. Peak, yeah. Uh, what percentage play? So if they if that disappears, then I just think you could see interest really dwindle very quickly. And I think that's why, ironically, of the Amazon grouping, mm. the only national broadcaster to show their country free to rights was Ireland. Yeah. So across well, the water, we did that very well here. Yeah, we've done yeah. well on that front. But across so across the water, it was uh, Amazon or bust for all of oh, those really? countries. Yeah, it wasn't on the BBC oh, at all. Right. So yeah, that was my point. So, yeah, oh, I'm thinking we, of we, we were unique. Point of view. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our Irish viewers were uniquely lucky, but we were that's that mad. close to think Jeez, that it would be Amazon crazy. or bust. That, that's yeah. Yeah. Because oh, I, okay. I I think actually, if you want to know what would happen to rugby. The Heineken Champions Cup has gone off a cliff, interest yeah. levels. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I don't think it's a coincidence that RTE are now have been allowed to show not just a Heineken Champions Cup game free to air, which Virgin had been doing, but a Leinster or Munster one or like an Irish pro- provincial one. And I suspect it's because tournament organisers have realised of all the fans that you want to alienate, Irish must <laughs> yeah, be, absolutely. with this tournament, must be back of the queue. And I think I've just noticed anecdotally, even in print, there's just less talk about the Champions Cup. So I think... That could happen to Irish rugby if it wasn't careful on the Amazon front. We are way out of time. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to say so much I know. Uh, Will, thank you. Cheers, lads. Michael, thank you very much. Thanks, Arthur O'Dee, thank you. Cheers, Joe. That was a slight tangent. You can get us at a slight tangent at offtheball.com and we'll talk to you next week.